High Rock Space Radio. Roger, restart. Now I'm looking at the red. Three, two, one. It's now time for The Space Revolution with Rick Tomlinson. All right. Welcome to The Space Revolution. My name is Rick Tomlinson. And uh, yeah, you are listening to iRock Space Radio. We're part of the iHeart Radio Network. And I want to welcome all of you spacers to the show. We have a great guest tonight, a very important guest, uh, Dr. Lamont Colucci. He's the inaugural director for Doctrine Development of the United States Space Force. He has done so many different jobs. He's been part of the State Department. He's a full professor of political science at Concordia University. He's written three books on a very high level uh, political discourse. And um, he is a Fulbright Scholar in Residence at the Diplomatic Academy in Vienna. He has graduate degrees, undergraduate degrees from the University of Wisconsin and a doctorate in politics from the University of London, England. Uh, you've seen his writings. Um, if you read these things, uh, these, these publications in the Washington Times, National Review, The Hill, U.S. News and World Report, and many others. He's also a senior fellow in national security affairs at the American Foreign Policy Council. Dr. Colucci, it's great to have you on board. I, I will also disclose um, that I um, was invited by you to be a part of what we call the DOG, the Doctrine Organization Group of Space Force, um, where you are leading a team uh, to look at how we create a top-level capstone, a top-level guiding document. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um for how Space Force operates, but it's great to have you on the show. Thank you Thank very you much for being here. Um, I'm going to start with that question that uh, a lot of people ask: um, uh, What is Space Force? Why do we need sure. Space Force? Yeah, well, and I'm sure and you get that you, asked a lot. I do, and 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 as as you know, I um I I, I find a mixture of kind of tragic comedy with the with the question because. Uh, what I usually have happen is when I travel and people ask me what I do and I tell them Space Force, uh, the first reaction I get is a quizzical look and like they say, what is that? Uh, they've never heard of it before. Uh, the second one is, is that a real thing? We thought it was just a, a meme or a joke. Uh, and the third one is after a couple of minutes, uh, someone else will come in the conversation. I will be introduced as working for SpaceX. Uh, and... And I think that is a real problem. Uh, the fact that the American electorate doesn't really understand um, what the new branch is, what, what we do, why we are important, uh, how do we fit into the American political scene as well as the national security scene. Uh, that's a big, big problem, maybe as big a problem as our potential adversaries. So, you know, Space Force was created in 2019 as an independent uh, branch of the military currently still under the uh, Secretary of the Air Force. And uh, it had gone through an evolutionary change from, from the Cold War. And um, there had been many proposals. Uh, General Bernie Shriver was, was one of the pioneers, rec clearly recognizing early on that space would be the ultimate high ground uh, for the military and for American national security. And... Um, and yet, and yet that was ignored, right? Decades and decades uh, where that was essentially ignored. And, and finally, in the 21st century, after uh, refocusing away from the Middle East uh, to a certain degree, uh, there was a realization that something had to be done. And there was a proposal for a space corps, like the Marine Corps, a space guard, like the Coast Guard, or a space force, an independent service. And uh, under the Trump administration, they decided to go with that last one, an independent service to protect American and allied uh, interests uh, from space, through space, in space, and uh, also American values uh, in, in those areas. And um, we talk a lot, as you know, about the dual mandate, right? So Space Force has two core missions, two mandates. One is to enhance and ensure American uh, vital and national interests on planet Earth, the terrestrial fight. And in that case, Space Force will probably be a supporting actor, 
supporting the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, uh, the Marine Corps, Coast Guard, and so forth. And then in space, it'll be probably the primary actor. And, and, and a lot of people want to divide those two missions. I, as, as you know from, from our group, I talk a lot about the synthesis and how you can't really have one without the other. They're the same mission in a way. You can't focus on American and allied interests and values on Earth and ignore space, and you can't do all of that in space and ignore planet Earth. And uh, I think one of the big catalysts for all this was the fact that our potential adversaries, primarily the Russians and the Chinese, but also medium power adversaries like North Korea and Iran, are either extremely active uh, in space or plan to be. And, and uh, if we do not take the actions in a proactive way, actions will be forced on us in a very bad way. And that doesn't only affect American interests and values, it'll affect world, the world in general, any, especially the democratic world that loves freedom and peace and prosperity and all of the things that we cherish. Yeah, so I want to amplify this very very quickly, and this is really important that people understand, because there is this sort of mythology, or however you want to put it, that um, here come the big, bad American dominators that are going to take over space, and that's why, you know, the uh, American imperialists are putting up the Space Force to take over the solar system. And to clarify what you're saying is that it was already happening. There is already military activity going on in space. And we're not just talking about the use of space to support people, soldiers, military activity on the ground where you would use, uh, you know, the, the ability to observe from space or the ability to transmit uh, from space uh, using space. That's what we would call, I guess, traditional uses of space. But there are things going on in space. We know that China has done anti-satellite testing in space. Russia has done that. They've blown some stuff up. Um, there are things flying around out there that we, we probably me, less you, because I know you're, you're right in on this stuff, um, don't even know about. Spacecraft poking around, moving other things around. There have been some very interesting incidents of space of satellites that seem to be operating in very strange ways, moving in different things. So the fact that we created a space force to both aggregate, put together all the different uses of space we have and what traditional uses, satellites for observing and communication, and also to begin to kind of get ahead of the game or maybe even just catch up with what these other nations, the adversaries you call them, are doing is not the United States stepping up and going, we're taking over space. This is a reaction to something that's going on and a strategic move to make sure that as we move into the future, we're ahead of the game, correct? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Chinese and the Russians have geostrategic imperatives uh, that we can easily identify, and, and many of them transcend centuries. Uh, and... and those geostrategic imperatives for them are often in conflict with ours. Um, and what it, we know is China and Russia have projected that out into space, into astro-strategic imperatives. Uh, China, for sure, first and foremost, who seem to have no problem looking at doctrine from a very forward-leaning 100-year-plus marker, where they are very clear and very open, this is not secret, uh, very clear and very open about dominating space. Uh, and and they're, they, they have projected a timeline where they take over uh, the, the dominant factor in the cislunar space, the dominant factor, the dominant power in the moon, and the dominant power in the solar system uh, in about a 100-year timeline. Uh, the Russians have not been as explicit uh, and, but we know that they have their own uh, astro-strategic interests as well that are going to be inimical to ours. And that, again, doesn't include the medium powers uh, like North Korea and Iran. And it also doesn't include non-state actors, some of which we can't even predict right now what they will look like or what they will be doing. 
whether those be criminal organizations, whether they be individuals, whether they be terrorist organizations, um, it, it is inevitable, unfortunately, I think, that non-state actors will not just threaten uh, American interests in a very political, military sense, but as far as the, the space revolution goes economically, I think they will threaten th that space revolution economically even, even more so. And I think Space Force and its allies have to be a guardian, to use the word we call ourselves guardian, a guardian uh, of those interests and those values. Okay, so we got the Space Force started, and um, I mean, you and I come from politically different strains, shall we say. So, um, but you know, it is clear that this is bigger than the president who started it. Um, there have been a lot of good people I've known for a long time that have been advocating for this uh, in the background. So you end up with this this thing called Space Force, and it has to have been it has been I, I'm I'm very aware of that very challenging to deal with these traditional entities, the Air Force, the Navy, and others um, who have their own space stuff that they like to do. Um, in terms of putting together the doctrine, the top level of it. I, do you see a lot of application from the lessons learned um, in the past to space? Or is this such a brand new realm that we have to start from completely from scratch when we're talking about our, our doctrine, how we operate? Yeah, I mean, that's been, operate, that's been probably one of the biggest challenges. Um, the Department of Defense in general uses the word doctrine in a way that uh, everyone else doesn't. Um, when we when we use doctrine in a philosophical term or a theological term, uh, we tend to we, we use it to inform, to teach, to change and to command. Um, I think, unfortunately, uh, many in the DOD have uh, have been under the impression or they believe that the word doctrine means backward thinking, backward looking uh, lessons learned, past practices. Well, so on, on, on a macro level, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with how the term is used in a, in a general sense. And then regarding Space Force, even if one wanted to accept that we should use that term for the other services, uh, which probably came out of the Army originally, and that's not a knock on them. It's just how the term came into being and how it was used. But if even if we accept that that is the way it was used, it can't be used that way for Space Force. Space Force has to, by its very nature, be forward-leaning. Luckily, we do not have a space war to gather lessons from. Uh, we have limited past practices with events like the Gulf War, GPS, and satellites. And so when we look at creating a new branch that is going to have this dual mandate of celestial and terrestrial. The only way to operate a doctrine is to do is to have one that looks at things, not just even in the present, forget the past, but for the future and, and probably not 10 years. We need to be looking 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years out. Otherwise, uh, it'll be always reacting and we will always be in a reactive mode. We will never be in a position where we can ensure uh, a good outcome, uh, whether that be on the practical side or on the values side. Got it. Great. Well, look, we're going to come back and, and get into some little more nitty gritty type of uh, conversation about these things. Um, you are listening to IROC Space Radio, and uh, this is the Space Revolution, and I'm your host, Rick Tumlinson, with our guest, Dr. Lamont Colucci. All right. Welcome back to the Space Revolution. My name is Rick Tumlinson, and um, we are uh, here talking to Dr. Lamont Colucci, who is the inaugural Director of Doctrine and Development for the United States Space Force. Um, so, Dr. Colucci, you, you wrote a book prior to getting involved in this, um, and um, which everybody should should pick up. I, can you, I guess, get it at Amazon or uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble? Sure thing. Okay. All right. What was the title? One more time, just to give you yeah. that extra. Point. U.S. Space Force, Grand Strategy, and National Security. There you go. A ponderous title, but an exciting topic. <laughs> um, 
Um, and what what are the two big points you want to you'd like to get out to people that you speak about in this book? What what is it? Yeah. What are the two big things? I think probably the most important point is that the days when we could say there was national security and space was a component are over. Um, space and national security are now one in the same. And those people who are involved in, in space for uh, various professions and, and occupations uh, and, all, and those people involved in national security need to understand that the future of American and allied national security will be space. And, and that'll be, uh, and there'll be an inability to divorce or separate those two things. And I don't think people realize that. I think what we, we see for sure in the public and still many, many people in government is an attitude that space is an enhancer. Uh, space enhances what the Navy does through tracking and observation and targeting or the army or what have you. And so it's a great enhancement. Uh, it's difficult to win without it, uh, but it's not the thing, right? And as we move into the future, space and space force uh, will be one in the same regarding American national security. It will no longer be an appendage if it ever was. And, and so there's probably the first big point. And I think that'll be a struggle. I, I don't think that's going to happen overnight. I think it's going to take a long time, even among national security professionals, to realize that things have changed irrevocably. And, and unfortunately, I, I think that China already recognizes that. Russia probably recognizes that. And, and as a result of that, we have to then move our mindset beyond that, that hole that we've kind of dug regarding that issue of space. I think the second issue I would highlight is identity. Uh, space Force needs to have its own identity. It needs to be culturally and professionally different. It needs to, it, it, it's fine to uh, accept and adopt many of the traditional American military traditions. Uh, that's natural and obvious, but as far as an ethos, as far as the objective and the motivation, that has to be different. That has to, that has to embrace this dual mandate of uh, Space Force is going to in help ensure American and allied interests on Earth uh, in the terrestrial and an equal, equally important, it needs to enhance and ensure American and allied interests in space, from space, to space, and through space. Uh, and, and that will require Space Force guardians and the other services and other aspects of government. We could include Congress. We could include the professional uh, a class of analysts uh, to sharpen and change their attitude about what it is about space. And I'm sure you know, and most of your listeners are, I'd be preaching to the choir if I began talking about the economic aspects and how it doesn't seem to be that many people in American business and the private sector fully grasp what's coming down uh, the space tracks, so to speak, uh, in what's gonna happen to the American economy. Uh, and, and the same thing is now in national security. So if, if if some of your listeners are not as involved in national security, but they're involved in that space revolution and the new space side of things, and they realize, gosh, talking to other people who are not, they don't get what's going to happen in, in, on the business side, in the private sector side. Well, now you realize exactly the same conundrum, the same problem in the national security side. Yeah, I, it's, it is always when you're dealing with the leading edge of history, uh, it's always frustrating. Uh, because people don't get it, you know, and um, I mean, there, what was it, Gandhi's quote or something about, you know, first they laugh at you, you know, and then, uh, and then it, you know, then they, uh, let me say, they laugh at you, then they try to stop you, um, and then and then they claim it was their idea. And they claim, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a very, very bad paraphrasing. I probably threw like three different quotes together there. Um, but 
so you have this new thing, and and look, it, you know, again, it, you know, we go back to the development of the air, the aircraft, or the airplane, right? And the military would look at that and go, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." You know, maybe we can see further from up there. You know, and that was it. You know, um, that kind of thing. Um, and and so it, it's always, always perennially something that people are are just never, never going to get. I'm sure the first person who said, "Ah, we could." Um, we could take one of these wagons and hook it to a horse. We have a chariot, you know, and people are like, Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. What are you going to do? Standing in a wagon, behind a horse, <laughs> right. uh, you know, uh, which actually at that point in history, in the early days changed history itself by the, the countries that had that versus those that didn't. Um, and, and that is, that is troubling to me that, that we don't get it. It, it is always a source of frustration and we, we're just going to have to deal with it. But what's really important is that the policymakers, the the people who are uh, the ones who fund this, and those of us in the space field do understand that, that what it is you're about. Um, I've actually been a little positive. I uh, wasn't expecting to be, but you seem to be getting quite a bit of support from Congress. Um, it seems like there's there is funding that's going into Space Force, right? Some people on the Hill seem to get it. I think so. I, th I think, um, obviously, the, the, the budgets reflect an increase. Uh, and, I, and I think that's driven primarily by the threat condition um, posed by primarily China and Russia uh, and, and Chinese and Russian declarations as well as actions. And I think there, there may also be a little bit of a frustration. You, you do sense from members of Congress asking uh, what what the plan is and how we're going to get there. Uh, and uh, what I what I do not think, and we've talked about this, I do not think that's getting communicated again to the, the public, the electorate. Uh, and I think it's a cautionary tale that um, uh, unless the electorate is is part of this process and they understand its importance, uh, they're going to be asking a very simple question of why are my tax dollars uh, going, quote, into space, unquote, uh, where we have so many problems at home, which is you hear that a lot, a, a tremendous amount. And and it'll be, uh, you know, a doom uh, for not just Space Force, but I would include NASA in that as well, uh, if, if we don't fully explain to the American public, this importance that we, you and I have been talking about today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it is sort of, you know, it is in our face if you care to see it, you know, the, the, um, our friend, uh, Namrata Goswami, you know, yeah. reports on the Chinese space program all the time, just blowing, blows my mind every time I speak to her, we're, we're, we'll ha I'll have her on here. Um, but the Chinese are not shy about it. They've laid it out. I mean, and they seem to be following the timeline that they've put out. Like, we're going to space. We're, we're going to go to the moon. We're going to build a space station, um, you know, and uh, we're going to harvest resources. It, you know, I, I've been in the uh, space activism, space development community for a long time. And it, it's like they've been coming to our conferences, reading the books, reading the articles and doing it while our own side isn't. You know, and they're, they're reading it and they're, oh, yeah, let's go do this. You know, let's let's build uh, facilities on the moon and, and uh, space solar power and, and do these kind of things. And um, it's got to be a bit frustrating, um, both that you have this intransigence in the military side, this lack of vision on the side of the public. And yet the adversary, the big one, you know, that we're going to Walmart and funding by buying all of our stuff there and go straight to China. <laughs> um, they're going for it. And. Um, do you see them building their own space force or is it just sort of throughout everything that they're, they're doing in China? Is that, is there a space force in China? Yeah. Uh, China actually does have, um, part of the, what they call the PLA, the people's liberation army, which is the catch all for the military, uh, their space for their space force. Uh, in Russia, the Russians are more divided in, in, in they, they have a, a space force in the sense that it's multiple areas, multiple branches uh, that deal with issues regarding space. The Chinese are more unified on that than the Russians. 
Uh, I think the Chinese are more unified on goal, mission, objective, uh, being very clear about dominating cislunar space and dominating the moon, dominating the solar system and beyond. Uh, they, they, are, they are very clear that they know that the power that dominates those three areas, uh, and, and it probably will go from cislunar to the moon, from the moon to Mars and Mars and then beyond, will determine the fate of the Earth. Uh, and, and I think what people need to understand and question is, do you want a future where the United States and its allies are at best second players to the Chinese Communist Party, or at worst, a vassal state of the same power? And, th and that's a blunt statement, but I hope it is. I say it in my book. I say it openly. Uh, I mean, th these are not, there's not a lot of other choices. Um, Either the United States will take a backseat to the darker powers of the world, Russia and China, uh, first of all, and then these other medium powers, uh, Iran, North Korea, and again, non-state actors, some of whom we can't even predict, you know, whether they be criminal organizations or terrorist organizations uh, or, or individuals that have an agenda, a nefarious agenda, who knows. Um, either that, or we will in some way be subservient to that. So, you know, I talk about this whole idea of crossroads and I know, I know that can be overused and people, people, you know, everything's a crossroad, everything's a pivot point. Well, I hope, I, I hope I'm not engaging in that. And I don't believe that everything is a pivot point and everything's a crossroads. I do believe, however, we are at one now, uh, and, and the decisions we make today are going to affect the next century. I also would go further, since you said you wanted to get me in trouble, uh, I would go further and say, I don't think we have a lot of time to make these decisions right. Uh, I don't think it's tomorrow morning, but I do not think it's multiple years. And, and so, you know, we are not at the edge of the horizon, but we can see it. Let's put it that way. What, what decisions are you talking about in particular? Um, Whether or not the United you know, States and, and its allies mm -hmm. and what we, what sometimes is called the international liberal order. Um, if, if people don't like that term, we can call that the world of democratic values. Uh, we can call that the world of free markets and free ideas, right? Whichever of those people prefer to use. Whether that is going to be the the trajectory of mankind, of humankind, or is it going to be alternatives, whether that be communism, fascism, what have you. Uh, and, and so if, if I am right that national security and space are now one and the same, and we know that our adversaries have accepted that and plan to dominate space, cislunar, moon, and then Mars and beyond then the United States needs to make the decisions now with its partners, its allies, uh, to thwart that and to be the ones doing that instead. In other words, to use one example from our, from our doctrine work, um, just as the U.S. Navy guarantees the free navigation of the seas for all, uh, whether that be trade, whether that be uh, travel, whether that be uh, commerce and relationship, so will the Space Force need to ensure the free navigation of space. But of course, we know that that is an expensive and dangerous and difficult operation for the U.S. Navy uh, and its allies to, to engage in. Uh, we know that not only do you have state actors that try to destroy that system, but you have non-state actors, whether they be pirates or terrorist organizations or what have you. Um, and so the United States needs to take take that same mentality uh, into space, hopefully with its allied partners uh, who believe in the same, uh, both strategic interests and values uh, that we do. Very cool. Well, look, I think we are, um, I mean, it's important that we have folks like you and, and many of the others that have been pushing for this for so long doing it. And uh, so let's come back here in a minute and talk about that, that future that, uh, you know, the Star Trek part of this, right? Um, and, and what that's about, um, what, what role an entity like Space Force, sport, excuse me, what Space Force could have in opening the frontier and, and supporting 
free people from free nations going out and trying to create, well, free human communities beyond the earth. So, hey, you're listening to IROC Space Radio. My name is Rick Tumlinson. This is the Space Revolution. We're part of the iHeart Radio Network, and I'll be right back with my guest, Dr. Lamont Colucci. All right, you are listening to the Space Revolution. My name is Rick Tumlinson. We're on the IROC Space Radio Network. We're part of the iHeart Radio Network, and today's guest is Dr. Lamont Colucci. He is the Director of Doctrine Development for the United States Space Force. Uh, we're having a conversation about some of the high-level uh, type stuff um, and uh, looking at the uh, the interplay between what what are called, some call the adversarial nations, such as China, et cetera, in space, um, and um, how Space Force plays into that. Um, one thing I have noticed in, in my dealings with Space Force and you know, through my company Space Fund and through some of the organizations I've been around, we've seen a very innovative approach to interacting with the private sector, um, as opposed to sort of the aerospace industrial complex, which is in there, you know, the Boeings, the Lockheed Martins, General Dynamics, all these people um, are in there uh, doing, doing their thing. Um, but we're also seeing a recognition that it is what, we, what I've for years been calling new space, has a role to play. Um, in fact, there seems to be a lot of forward leaning on the part of Space Force with Space Works, its acquisition arm and all of that. Um, how do you see that relationship in terms of uh, a lot of these new starts, uh, these, these the, the innovative new companies um, working with Space Force moving forward? How, how do you see that working? And do you see any symbiosis there? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's one of the identity issues that we just talked about earlier. I think that the there has to be new thinking on on how to deal with the private sector uh, in new space, uh, and and it you know there there cannot be a shying away from the understanding that if you want to guarantee your security, your defense, your national security. You need a vibrant economy to do that, and and you know we talk about the virtuous cycle, right? So we we you know the old virtuous cycle was was a naval idea, right? You have a you have a navy that protects your interests and your commerce, and by protecting that those interests and commerce, you grow your commerce and your economic interests, which allow you to have lo- a lot uh, more resources to ensure your security and you keep going in that in that cycle. And and there can't be this idea that somehow these are these are different. Um, uh, American national security is dependent on American prosperity and American prosperity is dependent on American national security. And I think one of the things I've encountered even you know conferences like New Worlds but a lot of other places you and I've been at is is you do have the new space community and in general, not doesn't apply to everybody. That in general, the new space community is very innovative. It is it, they're forward-looking in technology and in concepts and ideas and in the science. But when you talk to them about security, some of them get very skittish because somehow they don't want that relationship with Uncle Sam or they don't want that relationship with the military. When you talk to the military. Uh, many of them can get skittish. Well, first of all, they're worried about conflict of interest. Okay, there's there's that. That's maybe obvious. But beyond just that, that worry about conflict of interest and 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 money issues, there's well well there's there's the economy, and then there's national security, and those two things are are divided in some fashion. And and then you've got the science and exploration camp, uh, people such as in NASA, but not just NASA, and and their view is you know we should really be focusing on exploring and doing experimentation. And even some of them don't want any real human presence in space because they think that'll disturb a pristine environment in their opinion. And so somehow I think one of the jobs, and I, I do think Space Force should take some of this on, is, is to try to integrate these three camps. Uh, they are, they're obviously represent, representation of the military, so that's obvious. But then we have to deal with the other services. Uh, and, and there has to be an understanding of new thinking whereby new space 
understands that if they want this bright future of resource uh, acquisition, uh, commerce, transportation, communication, um, settlements, and, and this grand vision of what space looks like from many of the authors who have been writing science fiction for decades, if they want that vision, they're going to need the cavalry. They're going to need a police force. They're going to need some aspect of law and order so that if things go wrong, and of course, wrong can mean a different continuum. Yeah, sure. The, the full-blown wrong is a full-blown space war between the great powers. But if you go all the way down that list, it could just be search and rescue uh, of some um, asteroid miners somewhere that nobody else is going to be able to get to. And, and, and so you hopefully create a ecosystem, a space ecosystem, where there's a synergy and a relationship between new space, between the military, between the science and the explorers. It doesn't mean they're all part of one uniform or one group, but it means there's a recognition that there's a synthesis between all of them. And I think that creates your, your bright future that, that you, know, you and I have looked at with space futures and, and trying to get to that bright future. Yeah, it's interesting too. I, it, the there is a denial, I think, and this the, kind of a thread in our conversation here, though. That between, I, it's almost two camps. Um, the your hardcore, let's say, libertarian types, extreme libertarian, uh, hardcore. Um, they're like, well, we don't need no government. We don't want any government. We don't want anybody involved. Uh, we're going to go out there as individuals and uh, do our whole individual thing. And um, somehow we'll be protected because we're individuals and that's, you know, that's what right. we're going to do. And then you have your, uh, your far left side, which is sort of like, well, we're going to hug our way to space. Everybody loves everybody. And, um, you know, and we're just going to like all celebrate it and we're all going to go out as one united humanity and uh, uh, everything will be fine. Uh, you know, we just need to all talk together and work it out. Now, ideally, but I support both of those. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a liberal libertarian. You know, I, I believe in, um, humanity, um, humans being the ultimate core element of governance and life. And we have to, you know, support the individual in every way we can, but there are entire nations, large ones like China that don't believe in that, that are going to stop that the moment they get the chance. Um, there's also on this other side, the idea that, uh, you know, like I said, we could hug our way into space. We should all get along and it's just not happening out there. That's not how the world has operated. And I think at all times we should be reaching out and trying to work together. But again, nations like China um, and others, uh, nation states, and I, I, I want to be real clear, separate that from the Chinese people, very, very different things. Um, that have these ambitions um, and they may talk about hugging and they may talk about all of us working together and getting along, but that's not how they have shown you know, themselves to be. Uh, and so we have to have this sort of ability to be um, democratic, to enable private individuals and sectors and companies to work out there, but we also have to be able to protect ourselves. We have to aspire to, you know, the the kind of future one would see in a Star Trek, right? The, where, you know, all the communities of all the different species and are working together, but you have to have a Starfleet to make sure that that is protected. Um, as we get out there, how would you see it manifesting? Okay, very quickly, we understand that there's this idea of working with soldiers on the ground, all of that, the existing space infrastructure. But what would it look like? Let's say you have a community in orbit uh, or community on the moon. What would Space Force look like at that point? What, what would it be doing? You know, you've kind of touched on it, but I just kind of want to dive a little further into that. What would it be doing? Yeah, would it be like I, the Coast Guard? Would it be the cavalry? Would it be the sheriff? I think, I think there will probably be a midterm or short-term midterm uh, Space Force. And there might be some long-term changes. And, and unfortunately, we're probably talking uh, not just decades, but maybe centuries. But I think in the beginning, just as it was 
uh, in, in periods of the westward movement, uh, the military, which, I mean, first of all, you know, you look at Lewis and Clark, it was a military expedition. Uh, you, you then look at how, how there was a basis of law and order in the Midwest, and then finally the Far West, and that was first and foremost the military. Now, eventually that transitioned to a civil authority. Uh, but, but in the beginning, uh, the military had to take on the role of essentially diplomat, uh, police force, to a certain degree, even social service, uh, search and rescue. Uh, and, and that will, I think that has to be the model that, that that's going to be the model for space force. Uh, that's going to mean a, a change in outlook. That's one of those identity issues. You know, we have really not seen, uh, the military engage in that in a full blown way in over 150 years. Uh, yes, you, you see, you see glimpses of that when, we go in and deal with the aftermath of a natural disaster in a place like Thailand. You see then a glimpse of that uh, because no one else is able to do it, including their own government, right? So, so people often forget that, you know, why the United States? Well, because we tend to be the only ones who can do that. So in the beginning, uh, when you have uh, settlers, uh, when you have uh, a base on the moon, uh, or you have multiple bases on the moon, and you have people engage in economic activity, uh, and they get into some type of trouble, uh, Space Force is likely to be the one source of security and comfort that they're going to have to rely on. And, and that's going to be a big change in the mentality of everybody we've been talking about. Uh, and, and, and so there's probably going to have to be a permanent presence uh, of Space Force in space, uh, not just on earth and there has to be, there's going to have to be a willing to project power outward. Again, a lot of this sounds very much like 18th and 19th century naval thinking and naval talk. Well, and that's, that's exactly the point. We've seen this movie, if you want to use that term before, uh, we know what makes good sense and what makes bad sense. And, and space force, if you want to use doctrine as past practices and lessons learned, you can do that. You just have to go back a lot longer than one would expect and use and use the Navy uh, as an example. And that wouldn't, I mean, that's just not just the American Navy. One could talk about the British Navy. And, and we could talk about issues about human rights and that as well, you know, the abolishment of the slave trade and how that eventually came about through British naval power and things of that nature. And so, and, and so this is, in, in a sense, it's nothing new in the human experience but it will appear new for those people kind of guilty of presentism, living only in the present and assuming that's where things will always be forever. I'm going to use that term presentism. Cause that's, <laughs> okay. that's, that is the killer of innovation, the killer of strategy, the killer of planning is presentism, short-term memory, no, no understanding of history, no appreciation of history. Um, and that's what repeats itself over and over again. Um, and you are running into the same, the same things that happen all the time, you know, in history. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that, I think we keep going back to that, but it is, it is truly one of the biggest issues of just a lack of, uh, and, and it's interesting too, because it's otherwise very bright people sometimes will just totally lock in to the way things are right now and not understand that the way things are right now is only enabled by changes in what was and that it wasn't a rosy past um not nearly as rosy as we like to make it out to be um and it, it won't be a rosy future either future either but we can make it better by making sure there are rules of the road and that frankly, the right people are in charge of enforcing the use of those roads and the rules of those roads. And that, that is what I call the free societies, the, right. the free countries. Um, speaking of the free countries, is there, uh, what, what kind of work is there going on with space force in terms of working with the space entities of other free nations? Yeah. Um, I think the UK was setting something up. Australia has been talking about it. What, what are we seeing? Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, there's a close relationship with the five eyes, to use that intelligence term, uh, with uh, the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and 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 obviously other partners within NATO, uh, South Korea, Japan, and so forth. There clearly is a recognition that if the United States is going to do this in, in the best way, the right way, and the most practical way, all combined. It's going to have to be uh, with the other democratic nations of the world, um, and and yes, there's clearly a relationship with with all of those countries. You know, some of them have decided that they want to go and create a more independent space force-like structure, either now or in the future. Others are going to adopt a more bifurcated idea where space there there isn't really a space force as a single entity there's just simply areas within their national security that serve specific space areas and need uh but but i think you know that is going to be a a very pivotal job of the u.s government the state department and and obviously space force to build those relationships uh to ensure that there is more of a a united and cohesive uh, belief and movement among the democratic nations. Uh, and, and I think, you know, if if you can say good thing, and that's a hard word or phrase to use when it comes to Ukraine, but if you can, if you can say that phrase, if there's been a one good thing or out of the, the issue with Ukraine, I think it has proved to many uh, people, specifically some of our European partners, that this, the mythology that you and I talked about earlier about, you know, I think you mentioned a a group that thinks we can hug our way out of this. It it simply was never true. Nothing's really changed. And, and had preparations been made a long time ago, we wouldn't be in the situation we are uh, in Eastern Europe. And, and, and so one would hope that as tragic as that is right now going on as we speak, at least one can argue that a lesson again has been learned uh, about the need for a, a more united democratic front when it comes to issues like this. Absolutely. And look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of hugging and uh, <laughs> I think we're, uh, <laughs> that's the goal. Um, but it takes, you know, two to hug and two to tango. That's right. right? Yeah. And, um, you know, both sides doing it and not, one side doing it and the other one holding a knife in their hand as they're hugging you. Um, you have to really be able to, to do it the right way. And unfortunately, I think it does sometimes boil down to the fact that you have to have the strength on your side to be able to, to have that equilateral hugging, let's call it, as we move forward. All right. Well, we're going to come back here in just a minute. We have Dr. Lamont Colucci on, us to, on the show today with us. My name is Rick Tumlinson. You're listening to the iRock Space Radio on the iHeartRadio Network. Hey there, Spacers. My name is Rick Tomlinson. You're listening to The Space Revolution here on IROC Space Radio. Our guest today is Dr. Lamont Colucci, who's the Director of Doctrine Development for the United States Space Force. So we're having some very high-end kind of conversations about strategies. And uh, I think a lot of, we have been rotating a lot about the fact that people don't get it, uh, they don't understand it, and you know, this is what's at stake. Um, and that, that is important. Um, but, I mean, you know, for me, of course, I'm a techno geek, so I'm, I'm living for the day that I can actually see a uh, Space Force ship. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you know, it's the Captain Kirk in me there. But um, I, I am uh, curious in terms of um, the way that you see this rolling out in terms of, of the next, let's say, the next 10 years. Is it going to take that crisis moment? Are we going to have to have a 9-11 in space? What do you think we're actually going to, you know, we've kind of touched on that earlier, but uh, I really want to like nail that down. Do you, do you, do you think we're moving at the right clip right now um, in terms of, I mean, Space Force is what, three years old? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so a lot's been done, frankly. They hired you. What a great <laughs> sign, right? Um, but... A lot has happened. Uh, a lot of work is being put into it right now. Um, it seems like in, in the space news realm, we see a lot of reports. Space Force is doing this. Space Force is doing this. Space Force is doing that. Um, 
what would be the most important one thing you could see Space Force doing right now that would advance us the most quickly to the state you want us to be in? Well, I'm setting you up for trouble yeah. right now. I, I think, and, and, and maybe this is self-serving to both you and me, uh, it, it's not intended to be. It's it's that I, I would hope they would would um, accept um, kind of the recommendations of what uh, what we came up with, uh, and 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 looking at that strategic outlook uh, where we are pushing for recognition that the United States needs to be the proactive power that seeks to ensure. Uh, the right governance of space, uh, the right actions in space, the right order in space, and that uh, and that we don't shy away from that, and that we explain that to the public, uh, that Space Force will be that guardian of both those interests and those values in space. I think that would that would be the message or the 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 singular action, and and not to get engulfed in uh, simply the orbits of, of the Earth, uh, the orbit of Earth where, where we are focused on you know, Leo and Geo. We, we've got these satellites. We're looking at what these satellites can do. We're looking at how to protect these satellites. We're looking at what the enemy is gonna do to satellites. We're looking at the, the tech capabilities of these satellites. All of that's important, but that's a near-term issue. Uh, and it will not determine it will not determine who is the ultimate arbiter of what goes on into, through, and from space. Uh, so that that would, if I had to name one thing, it's that shift in thinking. Um, and I know there are people out there, many of whom are in government, who are going to make the argument that the second you say stuff like that, you're a space for space sake kind of guy. Uh, I think that's silly. I think it's a straw man. I think it's used as a quick and lazy way to shut down the conversation. Um, I've never advocated that. I've never heard you or others that we know advocate that. I'd be hard pressed to think of anybody uh, that that is uh, that is like that. Um, I may, maybe there are. I'm sure there are extreme people in, in every profession and every group. But but uh, the the idea that um, we by by stating clearly that the United States and its allies need to be the first and foremost power that seeks to create the right conditions of free people uh, in cislunar, on the moon, Mars, and beyond, uh, that that somehow is space for space sake is nonsense. And and I think that that's gonna be hopefully not an uphill battle, but I think it might be. Uh, and, and if, if we don't make that decision, that that's what we want to be as both a nation, a people and a service, um, I, I foresee only trouble uh, for the future. Right, right. I mean, look, we're dealing with a, um, you know, at, at least in one, the case of one adversary, a, um, an entity that will go out into international waters and build an island and then declare you know, that that's national territory. And then there's another nation that will send its ships through there that this one nation has declared as its national territory and we will shoot you down. And then there's another nation that sends its ships through there to make sure that not just that nation, but all nations have the right to go through there. That's right. Yeah. And that's us, right? And, um, you know, it, it, it's it's something we need to keep in mind that, there may be a point where somebody lands on the moon and declares, or maybe very subtly does it in a way that they don't declare and they just take possession of all the, the water ice on the moon, which as you and I know is sort of the gold of space, right? Is the water. Right. And, and they're gonna, they're, they may well declare that you cannot fly over this part of the moon or we will shoot you down. And there's gonna be one nation, I believe, that's gonna go up there and say no, can't shoot us down you can't shoot anybody down and we're going to fly over you and you can't stop us and that is the united states and the free nations of the world working together um so it's not an imperialistic move 
it's a move to make sure that freedom persists and the freedom and rights of people who want to go out there will be retained. That's the job, right? Right. Is that is that how you see it? Yeah, and and I I think um, I mean let's let's I think we need to be clear with people, the American public, that you know, is it there's an element of burden here. Uh, there's an element of sacrifice. Uh, it, the world didn't just exist after 1945, uh, where we are today. It didn't embrace the level of democracy and, and free markets and free trade and and free exchange uh, of both ideas and people. Uh, it took the United States to establish a international relations system uh, whereby, uh, yes, we benefited from that, no doubt, but we also have the greatest burden. And I do not see that changing in space. I think we will have allies and partners that we've talked about. Uh, I think that's going to be critical, just as we did after 1945 and beyond. But in the end of the day, uh, the United States and its people need to make that decision that uh, we are willing to carry this burden. Um, and, and yeah, maybe it, it does harken back to the words of John F. Kennedy uh, when he became the first president to truly put this into people's mind uh, as not just a goal about science and exploration, but a goal about national vision of who we are as a people and, and what we want as a people and, and what is American civilization all about. And I think that's a very critical component. And I don't think we should shy away from that. That was beautifully said. And it's true. I mean, if you believe in freedom, it's not just our freedom. It's freedom for everybody everywhere at all times. And we have to take a stand because there are people who don't. That's right. And that, to me, is why you need a space force, even as we want to pursue the peaceful opening of space. I would love to be in a position where we could say, look, no weapons in space. In fact, I, I think we should try and ban offensive weapons based in space. I think that should be something we should try and stop before it happens. But the reality is as well, it may already have happened and we just don't know about it. And so it is important for people who can at least think about, talk about and participate in the creation of the future to do so. And that's what you're doing with Space, with space Force. And right. So I, I want to thank you for that. Um, I do want to ask you again some uh, deeply personal questions <laughs> now the, um, uh, as we're starting to wrap up. Um, and, uh, you know, I had, I, we've talked a little about some of these things in the past, but, um, one question I ask everybody is, uh, if, if you were flying over the moon right now and, uh, now hopefully you're not doing it in a military situation or anything's going, you're just flying over and having a good time because space force has made sure that it's safe. <laughs> right. To do so, um, what would you be listening to on, uh, on the radio or on the dvd or whatever yeah yeah well i i think the best song for that the best music for that is there is a uh, there's a, a, a soundtrack uh star trek the motion picture uh, where the enterprise is called leaving dry dock and i think that's the perfect music mm -hmm. for flying anywhere in space so that would be my first choice and if i was in a different mood uh, fly me to the moon by sinatra maybe <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I just said DVD. Um, that was totally on, on the other hand, I actually had the DVD of that Star Trek movie at one point. So I am so dated. Um, yeah, it kind of gave me chills. Cause I remember that seeing that in the movie theater, that first right. moment. Yeah. It was kind of like starting to see the lights going down and there it is in the dock and it's, Oh, it builds. And then off. That's right. That's great. Um, I know you have an interesting concept in terms of what science fiction is, but what, what is the science fiction literature book or books that got you most excited about things like what you're doing now? Yeah. You know, I think, um, for me, uh, I, I would say probably the classic classic Star Trek, uh, was a huge influence as it is, I think on many people. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I come from the generation that, was that we were all young kids between the age of, you know, I don't know, eight and 12 when the first uh, 
first Star Wars movie came out, which I guess is technically the fourth episode of New Hope. Um, I, I've never quite understood the 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 vitriol and the anger between people who say that they're Star Trek fans or Star Wars fans. I, I I've never understood it myself. I I think both are great. Uh, I think they both have uh, actually a lot of great messages uh, and and inspiration about values and ideas. And uh, so I would say those two things for sure. Uh, that that fourth episode, which I would you know, the first time that Star Wars movie came out for us Gen Xers, and um, and classic Star Trek. As far as an author, you know, I suppose uh, for me it's Robert Heinlein. I think he's probably the the, mm-hmm. uh, the most fascinating, in-depth author where he's combining not just the story, but the science and, uh, and the possibilities all into one. And, and whether you look at his, you know, his fiction that was written for, for younger, uh, younger adults would have spacesuit will travel and, and all that stuff. And then as he transitions in the more mature areas and obviously the most famous ones, probably Starship Troopers, but, um, but uh, you know, stranger in a strange land, and all that stuff. Uh, that was a pretty pivotal, pivotal author for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, all three of the big ones: um, Asimov, Heinlein, Clark. Right. Are, my, are mine, but uh, it's funny you talk about the the battles between the Trekkers and the Star Warians, or I guess whatever they are. And it's funny. One of my friends has a T-shirt that says "Star Wars is my favorite movie," and it shows the Enterprise. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, great. And so there, is there any sort of current television show or anything like that that you like uh, that's space related or something you'd recommend people to to watch? Yeah, I just enjoy? finished The Expanse. Um, the mm. final, the final, well, well, maybe it won't be the final season, I, I, but I, I thought it was, but maybe they won't. But what what the last season of the of the expanse I finished, um, I, I I like it a lot. I I think it it in many ways it offers in some in some ways a more plausible uh, future uh, for what space might look like. Um, I, I might quibble with certain decisions they made on the on the political front or uh, on on some other areas. I guess the the one problem I have with a lot of current science fiction, and maybe this will get me in trouble too, but not with the same crowd as I got in trouble with otherwise, maybe even with you, Rick, is, you know, I, I know that it's so in vogue to look at dystopias. I know that's the cool and current thing in all genres, especially science fiction and, and things like that. And and I know we don't always have to live in, in, in the shadow of Captain James Tiberius Kirk. On the other hand, um... You know, when you look at a character like James Kirk or Luke Skywalker, you know, what did they represent? They represented, you know, good, good, honesty, courage, bravery, morality, um, and, uh, and so forth. And, and, and so much of the science fiction today, and not all of it, but so much of it seems to like we just can't be that, right? We, we don't want that kind of inspiration. And I would have to say that bothers me a lot. And, and on a on a side rant, and, and you pro- you may know I've talked about this before, and I've written about it in an article, is um, I don't understand how there's a new fascination with the dark side in Star Wars. You go to the Disney store, I have kids, so of course we have to go there sometimes, and uh, you go there, and half the stuff is is the dark side. And, and as a Gen Xer, that floors me. You know, uh, We in Gen X were like, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> there's one side to this. We're on that one. And then there's the other guys. And so, you know, I don't know if you see that trend. I think you know a lot more about science fiction than I do. But um, I'm a little disturbed by that. But may- maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm willing to defer to your uh, expertise on that. <laughs> well, I, we're, we're going to wrap it up here in a minute. But I, I think the sure. um, one of the interesting things is we talk about the debate between Star Trek and Star Wars. One of the debates I hear now is between the future of the Expanse and the future of Star Trek. Yeah. And most people that I know pick the future of Star Trek. Right. And, and so the James, the James T. Kirk types, um, and he's a wild man and, and, uh, and his people on his crew were, you know, they're, they're go-getter type folks. Um, but, um, that's the future I think, uh, that, that I would prefer to live into. Right. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think that's the one that we can try and create and, and the virtues that you just rolled out, 
I, I think are the virtues that you guys are trying to instill in the guardians and that that's, that's right. what space force stands for, right? Basically doing the right thing. Doing the right so, thing. That's right. Dr. Colucci, I want to say, yeah, I want to say thank you for, for coming. Uh, really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. I know we've been kind of all around and, and here and there, but that's what it's all about. Um, you know, here on the space revolution. So Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Hope, uh, 2023 turns out to be great. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, showing up. Thank so, you very spacers, much. We will talk to you next time. And uh, as of right now, we are going out the airlock. You've been listening to the Space Revolution Podcast with Rick Tumlinson, a production of iRock Space Radio. Go to iRockSpaceRadio.com for more.